Welcome to the Lawyerist Podcast with Sam Glover and Aaron Street. Each week, Lawyerist brings you advice and interviews to help you build a more successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are Sam and Aaron. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 70 of the Lawyerist podcast, where we talk with Sam Harden about using public court data to predict outcomes for common criminal matters. Today's podcast is sponsored by Zero, beautiful legal accounting simplified. Find out more at xero.com. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Abacus Private Cloud. Future-proof your firm by going virtual. Learn more at abacusprivatecloud.com slash lawyerist. If you enjoy this show, please visit lawyerist.com slash podcast and click on support the podcast to help us keep new episodes coming every week. So Aaron, this past week, uh, which will have been a couple of weeks ago by the time this airs, I was at Stanford's Codex Future Law Conference. Um, And it was in Palo Alto, California, uh, which is not too far away from San Francisco. So it's still in that kind of weird Bay Area startup thing. Did you raise us some venture capital money? (laughs) I I, I didn't stumble across any, but there's weird stuff like you're out at a bar and everybody's wearing t-shirts of startups you haven't heard of yet because they're being paid to go to the bar and wear them. Good times. But but a nice area, very sunny, um, pleasant weather. Um, but so this was a conference about, um, legal technology developments, innovation, that kind of stuff. And the, the people who are there, unlike say ABA tech show are people who are actually, you know, trying to build products. So there's a lot of tech startup people there. There's also a lot of academics there, uh, who are trying to do interesting things with open data and stuff like that. So it's it's a different crowd than we sometimes get at like local bar conferences or at ABA tech show and stuff like that. Are there legitimately that many people in the legal tech startup space? Well, interesting that you should ask because the Stanford Codex is also a a Stanford center about legal tech. And they just started a new portal to try and keep track of all of the legal tech startups because until a few weeks ago, all we had to go on was the angel list, which is kind of self-nominated. And there were a bunch of like personal injury lawyers who had put themselves on the list, which are totally not startups. So... Bob Ambrogi has been trying to track this too, and I think we're estimating something around 500 legal tech startups. Okay. How many of them were represented last week? Um, I, a few dozen, maybe okay. a couple dozen. So, um, and some of the bigger ones, I, I spent a lot of time hanging out with the guys from Ross, the, the AI, artificially intelligent legal research assistant, smart guys doing cool stuff. Um, I was there to do a, a session on where we're suing the legal tech industry for not delivering on its promises by 2020. And uh, the the case text team brought me there. And, and I think everybody knows I'm a big fanboy for case text. I think it's a cool legal research platform. So AI was a hot topic. But uh, one of the things that kept coming up was there's sort of a giant elephant in the room when it comes to building really cool machine learning systems or artificially intelligent systems. And that is the lack of good open data. You can't, you, you can't drag court data out um, very easily. When I talked to Ed Walters, he said 80% of his team is dedicated to just trying to drag, you know, courts and statutes, uh, court opinions and statutes out of the courts and um, state websites. So it's like the big elephant in the room when it comes to it. You can't train AI without a data set to train it on. So what's the solution? 
Well, I, I mean, this is kind of the thing, right? It is if there's one element of the system that can be truly disruptive, it's the courts because the courts get to just wave their gavel and uh, bang the gavel and things change. Um, Do they yeah. wave gavels now? I think they bang them, oh. um, <laughs> but you know, uh, gavel bang, and now anybody can get married to anybody. Um, you Hashtag know, gavel bang. <laughs> there you go. There's a gavel bang, and the court decrees that that heretofore all of the court decisions will be published in open formats at permanent URLs on the court's website, and. Every time a court does that, it just completely changes what you can do. We're going to be talking with Sam Harden in a few minutes about what he's been able to do with some open court data that is not legal decisions. And that's, but that's kind of the best you can get right now is metadata is easier to get. But as the courts open up, now all of a sudden it's like, the, think of your own brain. Those are memories, right? Opinions and statutes are the memories. And you can't, you can't build a, a body of knowledge without that kind of experience. And that's what you need to give to... Uh, algorithms and you know AI systems and teach them based on that stuff. So, so at the conference last week, were there judges or court administrators in attendance who get it? Um, not that I'm aware of. They're, and actually, that was presumably those people are out there. I, th- I mean, courts are trying. I think courts are trying. They recognize that they need to that they've been relying on Thompson and or, or Westlaw and Lexis and and others to publish their decisions for too long and. There's sort of a, there's a bunch of copyright lawsuits going on right now where uh, courts are making just patently ridiculous claims about, uh, you know, that statutes are copyrighted and, and you can't have them, <laughs> in which you can't copyright law. That's kind of the whole point. If we don't know what it is, then we can't follow it. Right. So that's kind of going on right now. And I, I think it's a little bit thorny and courts are trying to figure out how to how to make this work. You know, Sarah Glassmeyer, who we had on before, is... Uh, to talk about open data is probably a little less optimistic, but I, I think it's going to happen. I think it just is going to be slow. And because we have so many courts and just that all manage their own thing, uh, it's going to take a while. At the conference, somebody was mentioning that uh, in some, in some uh, jurisdictions, every courtroom will have its own different forms that it prefers that you have to use. Every judge will have um, his or her own preferred set of forms, even if there's a county form and a state form. And keeping track of all those those local rules and requirements and stuff is is hard and it and it makes it even harder to get all of these things into one place and published in a in a way that you can get at them. Although making them open and available would probably also reduce the frequency of people doing things on their own. Yeah, presumably the sta- there would become standards at some point. Well, that that would be the hope, and and uh, you know that's kind of important for access to justice as well. You know, as soon as you start talking about open uh, open data, open court data, um, everybody's like, oh, just because people can use the law doesn't mean they'll know what to do with it. Sure, absolutely, but once you have that kind of data, it becomes a lot easier to build a set of legal templates that everybody in the state can use and. Um, that makes it a heck of a lot easier for normal people to get things done in the legal system, which is probably a good thing, especially since so many of them are doing it on their own anyway. Those aren't clients. Those aren't even potential clients. They're just people who need help. Right. So the open data seems to be the bottleneck in the system. And uh, it sort of kept coming up in the background if you were listening for it. Um, it's what's holding people back. Um, I suspect that Ross has some sort of a deal with uh, Westlaw, which allows us to get its bankruptcy data. I don't, I don't know what that deal looks like. I don't know what it costs, but, um, but I wonder if that will be a problem for them as they try to scale. 
and I think the same is true for other companies. You know, Kira Systems and Lex Machina and companies like that are, are doing their own job of grabbing the data from the system, but it's been expensive for them too, so... Cool. So on that note, um, here's my conversation about Sam Harden about his own use of a different kind of public court data. My name is Sam Harden. I'm an attorney in Tampa, Florida. I have a firm called Metcalf Harden PA, where I practice criminal defense and personal injury. I'm also the founder of a website called mycourtcase.org, which is a data analytics site for uh, criminal cases, showing people what happens in cases like theirs and what they can expect based on uh, historical court data and court dockets. Cool. And let's not forget, you are also a contributor to Lawyerist. I am. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for being with us today. I So, tell me a little bit more about your practice. You said you do criminal defense and personal injury, which seems like a pretty common combination. It's a partnership, right? There's two of you? Right. It's myself and a guy I went to law school with named Brett Metcalf. How long have you guys been doing this together then? Uh, a little over two years. And you feel like it's kind of... Uh, um, it's taken off like this is you're feeling comfortable in what you're doing or do you still feel like you're uh, just hanging on? I, I, I'm one of those people that will probably never feel comfortable with <laughs> what I'm doing. Um, and I have a friend who's a salesman who always told me every, you know, every day could be my last day on the job. And sometimes when you're running a small firm, it can feel like that. Yeah. Sometimes it's great and sometimes it's terrible. And you just try and find the middle point between those two points. Gotcha. How, what's, how's business for you? How do you go about getting business and, and what's your main source of referrals and, and how does that work for your firm? Our biggest source of referrals is probably past clients. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and, you know, as you said, personal injury and criminal defense is a very common practice area combination for a lot of small firms, mainly because there's a lot of, you know, not really overlap, but, you know, your criminal clients will know someone or have a family member who gets into an accident or someone who gets into an accident will have a relative who has a criminal problem. Um, so we, we mainly build off of that. We don't do a lot of advertising. Frankly, the advertising in Florida is incredibly expensive. Mm -hmm. um, for small firms, which is a, a favorite gripe of mine. <laughs> um, but we, uh, it's, it's a lot of referrals. It's a lot of word of mouth and referrals from other attorneys as well. Gotcha. Uh, and you just recently had a kid. She's uh, two months old, right? I think. It's a, it's a little boy. Oh, it's I'm sorry. Yep. Oh, no, you're good. <laughs> it's hard to tell them apart when they're so young. <laughs> um, yeah, he's two months old and then I have a two-year-old also. Yeah. So, uh, so what's, I mean, what does that look like? How did you prepare to have a kid and how did you, how do you, how are you balancing it now? Cause two months is still a pretty demanding kid. Yeah. It's, um, basically my, my wife is a superhero and <laughs> does pretty much everything when it comes to the baby, um, you know, with, with my minor assistants sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is, it is hard balancing when you have small kids and the response, sm the small firm responsibilities, especially when you have a firm and you do the administrative work right. for the firm as well. There's a lot of, I, I know lawyers, listeners do. 
do you does your partner uh, is he able to backstop you and pick up your cases when you need to be home and helping or um, how, how does how do you guys support each other on that? We we do a lot of that and vice versa too. My partner has a um, a one and a half year old at home, um, so we we do a lot of uh, jobs for each other um, on our caseloads. Mm-hmm. You, I suppose you you require a lot more flexibility than you did uh, two and a half years ago. <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> Um, so tell me about, let's talk about mycourtcase.org. Um, and what, one of the things I'm curious about is before you decided to set out on this project, uh, what kind of coding development data analysis experience did you have, if any? I had virtually none, um, which is kind of, kind of strange for me to get into this. But I originally got into it because I do a lot of criminal defense work and I see so many people that have no idea what's going to happen once they get charged with a crime. There's a lot of miseducation out there and and people who are just ill-informed and uninformed. And I see a lot of attorneys, I hate to say it, that kind of use that to their advantage, Mm -hmm. that tell people you know, look, pay me, I'll get your case dismissed, pay me, or you're going to face 364 days in the county jail. Right. They give you the unrealistic maximum sentence instead of the realistic, here's what's more likely to happen. Exactly. And they, you know, they, they scare people into hiring them where, you know, any attorney who's practiced in a jurisdiction for long enough can have somebody approach them and tell them, you know, look, you're charged with misdemeanor marijuana possession. Here's what you're looking at if you get convicted. Here's what you're looking at if you get an adjudication withheld. Here's what you're looking at Mm -hmm. to get the case dismissed. I think your chances are good. I think your chances are bad, but I can't guarantee anything. But, you know, here's what I think is going to happen. And attorneys do that based on their experience and, you know, kind of a gut feeling based on how they see the case, how they see the facts in the case. So I thought, wouldn't it be interesting because you can look at all of the closed case information online. Wouldn't it be interesting to compile all of that and see what the data actually says? And so maybe we should back up and explain that um, when you go to mycourtcase.org, which is the URL, so you can type it in your browser and check it out, um, you can select a, um, is it you can select a judge and a type of charge and then click go and you have a, you get a page with a, a report of um, here are the sentences on that charge. Here's what this, and I mean, what kind of information are you putting on those pages? I'm, I'm putting out, you know, for each judge and for each county um, that I've been able to do so far, the charge, how many, you know, what's the percentage of people that get convicted? What's the percent of people that get an adjudication withheld? How many cases get dismissed? And does hiring an attorney change those numbers? Mm-hmm. Does hiring a, you know, having the public defender, does it really disadvantage you? Does it, you know, is it to your advantage? Can you handle it yourself? What do the numbers actually say? And it's really interesting to see, you know, the patterns that emerge um, in different kinds of cases. Like for, an, you know, for example, marijuana possession cases, People who are private attorneys get their cases dismissed at a slightly lower rate than the public defender 
but they have a much higher rate of getting a withhold of adjudication because, and I, I'm not sure of the, you know, correlation is not causation, but a conviction means that you get a driver's license suspension. Right. So I think private attorneys are trying to maintain that withhold of adjudication at all costs to keep their clients from getting hmm. a driver's license suspension. Interesting. So it's, yeah, it's interesting to see how how it actually plays out. So tell me, how do you go about how do you go about building this? Where does the data come from? How do you get enough? How do you get all of it? Um, and how do you put it? How are you putting this together and and putting it out on your site? I'm very fortunate for Florida's public records law because Florida has a very very broad public records law. Um, Basically, I have a program that goes and gets all of the information from the court dockets. So, where, and, how did you get that? Where did that come from? Um, it's it's basically cobbled together mm-hmm. through uh, Python scripts and a browser extension. So, did you you taught you must have taught yourself how to do all that? I I did at great pains. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know um, you know. Uh, some people will say, you know, oh, if you're in any profession, you know, you need to learn to code. And it's really interesting learning it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's more of a more of a means to an end than a, you know, an ends to a mean. Well, maybe this is your experience. My experience has been, um, you know, I, I, I have built Lawyerist's website. Um, but in doing that, um, I'm, I think I'm doing maybe more what you are. I, I'm not sure I've actually taught myself how to code. What I've done is figure out how to make things do what I want them to do right? in a sort of hacky way. Um, exactly. And over time, I think what I'm doing maybe looks more like software development <laughs> than it used to. Um, but for a long time, I was basically just copying and pasting and tweaking um, and being like, I, I bet if I change this number, then something else will happen. So Yeah. Yeah. If I change this color code number in the HTML, what happens? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, at first I did do a lot of copying and pasting from Stack Overflow to see what would happen. Hmm. Um, but it's, um, it's basically a, you know, a script that goes in, gets the data, analyzes it, and pulls out what I tell it to pull out from the court dockets. Cool. And the biggest problem I've run into so far is that even in even in one county, so Hillsborough County, for example, each judge's assistant or whoever is entering the information into the docket that's displayed online can decide to do it differently on different days of the week. Gotcha. So you could have, you know, one person for Judge A enter in DUI above 0.15. And the next person comes along and says DUI above 0.15. And so you have to teach the program how to recognize both and that they are equivalent. You know, David Colarusso has a post about doing data science that is going to be on our site by the time this podcast airs, I think. And, uh, and he talks about a lot of doing data science is cleaning up the data. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is a pain. Um, and interestingly, in Florida, there are standards for what information can be displayed online by the courts, but mm-hmm. there's no uniform standard for how it should be displayed. <laughs> Which is so, a big problem. Makes yeah, it harder. Yeah. Each county, each county can be different. Each, you know, each judge can be different. It's it's a huge mess right now, um, but it looks like they're starting to try and clean that up. But right now, it's a big mess. So you've got you've got a script that goes out and pulls in the data. 
Um, and and then what what do you do with it? I, I assume you clean it up at that point. But but what do you do and how do you how do you get it from that file that which I assume is a um, some sort of a spreadsheet or a comma separated values file? Um, how do you get it from there to making it visual and useful on mycorecase.org? Basically, a lot of man hours on my point. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it, it looks very clean on the on the website, hopefully. But, you know, it's, it's, I'm almost saying pay no attention to the man behind the curtain because I'm the one building, you know, taking the data, analyzing it in a, in a spreadsheet, calculating out all the percentages and then graphing it and then double checking it to make sure, okay, does that make sense? Hmm. Is this data correct? Is it not correct? And then, you know, going back in and doing it again until it until it's right. So um, are you are you making all of these graphs yourself and then putting them on the the website or is this automat happening automatically in the background? I wish it were automatic, but it is <laughs> it is me doing it myself, testing it, you know, error error checking it and then, you know, once once it's right, putting it out there. Um, hopefully one day my programming skill will be enough that I can make it automatic, but that day hasn't come yet. Yeah. Cause it, it seems like, um, I mean, how many, how many paid landing pages are there on your website? Cause doing it, there must be a f- couple dozen of them at least. Oh, there's uh landing pages. There's over a hundred right now. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. cause right. Cause you can be in Hillsborough or Orange County. Right, and there are, you you track um, seven different types of offenses, um, and for some of those, you can also put in a judge. Right, for or for, for all of them, you can put in a judge. For right? pretty much all of them. Yeah. Okay, I'm not good at doing that math. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm not either. So, uh, so it must not be updated in real time. You must be updating it a couple times a year or so. Um, right now it's a couple of times a month that I, because I've been, you know, building it in stages mm-hmm. and then hopefully once it's all built, I'll be able to go through and do a new data pull every six months or so. And then, you know, re up the data, hmm. you know, so if it, you know, a conviction rate for one judge goes from 49% to 51%, then I can update the data on the actual website every six months so it's current and, and eventually maybe plug in some automatic charting things or whatever but hmm. that's really cool so um is are you is this just something that you wanted to satisfy your own curiosity and put some better information out there um i, I mean i noticed that you don't i don't even think you put your firm's name on the site yet no um and it's it's one of those things that i wanted to uh, I started it as a, as a, let's see if I can do this mm-hmm. kind of thing. And it's morphed into a, Hey, this is really cool, you know, to a, you know, now let's see if, you know, if we can expand it, serve more people, do more jurisdictions. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so hopefully it'll continue to grow, um, you know, as you know, me pushing it along. But yeah, the goal is to, you know, if I can cover, you know, more and more counties in Florida, more and more types of cases, you know, just to inform the public to, you know, here's what happens. Here's what you can expect. And you don't think you're probably going to use it as a as a marketing tool or you think you might or is there some I mean, how how are you going to justify the time you put into this? 
<laughs> right now, um, you know, it's, it's interesting what you can do with, um, all of the data that you get because you can see more than what is, you know, actually put out there. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so I have some ideas for monetization of it. I'm not sure, you know, what exactly I'm going to, you know, how I'm going to act on those mm-hmm. as of yet. Um, but one of the things that I, I am unwilling to do is make the data that you see on the site, you know, put it behind a lock and key. Yeah. Kind of. Because my main goal is to, you know, let the public see what is actually going on. You know, and, and if they need to hire an attorney, hire an attorney. If you don't, you don't. Um, and I know there are, you know, there's other projects to, you know, to rate judges or to, you know, rate attorneys who outperform and, you know, different kinds of appellate cases. Right. And I've, all of those, to my knowledge, are behind some kind of paywall hmm. where the, the end user, the customer, pays the service to see, okay, here's the results of our data analysis. And I kind of wanted to turn that on its head and say, here's the data analysis. You know, it's all public record. Here it is. I think that's really cool. So we're going to take two minutes for messages from our sponsors. And when we come back, um, I want to kind of back up a little bit and talk maybe a little bit more about how an attorney who wants to do something similar in their state might get started. Billable hours are the lifeblood of a successful law practice. Problem is, you still have to bill those hours. Even if your law firm has an accountant, tracking hours, clients, rates, preparing invoices, and collecting on those invoices is time you never get paid for. And writing notes to yourself in court or on the road is inefficient and error-prone. Run your legal practice better with cloud accounting software and see why over 600,000 small businesses love Xero. Get a free trial at Xero.com. That's X-E-R-O.com. Beautiful accounting software. Did you know that law firms are the seventh highest target for cyber criminals? Breaches in security could cost you your clients, your reputation, and ultimately your firm. Protect your firm from cyber attacks with Abacus Private Cloud, the compliance-ready, fully managed desktop-as-a-service engineered to safeguard your firm against cyber threats. Abacus Private Cloud is brought to you by Abacus Data Systems, a leading provider of business technology products and solutions, including Abacus Law, simplifying your practice management since 1983. Learn more at abacusprivatecloud.com slash lawyerist. All right, and we're back. And so one of the things that I, um, that I want to try to get across to people is that it's not... Um, it's not insurmountable, um, and it's not even all that crazy to go ahead and do this in your own state. Um, that, you know, I think lawyers are really freaked out by the idea of trying to put together a Python script, uh, in order to pull down court data. And, and maybe that's justifiable, but it's actually not the kind of thing that you have to have a degree in computer science to do, right? So like, let's say there's a lawyer listening on the other side of the country that wants to try and do this. And they do a little research and find out that their own court has, um, they can go and pull down public data like this. Um, How how do they start figuring out how to do what you've done? Look online. That's what I started doing. Um, You know, try and find solutions. If there's anybody out there that's interested in doing this themselves, I'd welcome them to come and talk to me or shoot me an email. Um, And I'd be happy to talk to them. You know, at the end of the day, one of the, the 
wild things that I figured out about computer programming is it's a lot, there's a, there's a lot in common with actually legal analysis Hmm. of running through, you know, a script and seeing the logic laid out. And, you know, a lot of computer science, I think me not having a computer science degree is figuring out what a computer does when you tell it to do certain things, Mm -hmm. just like, you know, you, our courts are, you know, machines that we put information into and get a result out of, um, you know, so it's, I think if an attorney wanted to do this, you know, look online to learn how to learn Python, um, look online how to learn Ruby or other, you know, other languages. And if you stick with it, you'll see that there's an inherent logic to it and a, a, a rhyme to the reason that they can put and say, okay, I see how this works because lawyers are inherently logical. I think it's just the nature of the profession and you can see how everything's laid out when you put in a certain input And the great thing about programming is if if it crashes and burns, you can just go through and say, okay, you know, now I see why. Whereas if your legal case crashes and burns, it's a lot more catastrophic. (laughs) Well, and I suppose that's not a bad analogy because um, think about in a a civil or a criminal case, uh, if you want to ask the court to give you some information, you have to ask it in a way that it is understands and is willing to deal with, right? So you have to file a motion or you have to um, fill out a form and submit it and the court will then give you back the information you need. If you want to pull down public data from the website automatically, then you have to um, write your letter, which is your Python script or or whatever Mm -hmm. kind of script you're putting together in a way that the court is going to understand and react to in the way that you want it to. And it may be the court's website in this case, but you're putting together basically what what amounts to a letter saying, please give me this information. And if you do it right, then the court servers will say, okay, here's the information and give it to you in the way that you want it. Right, exactly. Hmm. Um, And where would you start looking? I mean, would you tell people, uh, you know, I think it's fine to tell people you should learn how to, you know, the basics of doing JavaScript or Python by taking the Codecademy course. Um, but I find that that sort of happens in a, a little, little bit of a vacuum and maybe it's, it doesn't automatically, it's not obvious how you translate that into um, interacting with um, a court's website API or something like that. Right. So where would you, where would you say to, I mean, I, I know start, just start searching and it sort of bubbles to the surface, but, um, but I'm not sure where I would start searching either. So <laughs> um, as far as learning Python, one of the, best websites I've seen besides Codecademy is one called Learn Python the Hard Way. Oh. <laughs> um, so, if it, yeah, and it, it really is Learning Python the Hard Way. Um, but, you know, I would start by taking a look at what kind of information do your courts put online. For example, in Florida, because of the public records laws, most counties, there are 67 counties in Florida, and I believe 64, 65 of them have some sort of online presentation of publicly available court information. So they don't put things online like, you know, what an actual divorce decree is with, you know, people's social security numbers and things like that. But you can see, you know, okay, this person had a DUI case. They were convicted on this date. 
you know, their fine is this and they serve this much probation. Florida is very open. I know other states um, like Alabama want you to pay a dollar per record to Hmm. even look at it online. Obviously, if, you know, if that were the case in Florida, I wouldn't be talking about doing this because it would be at this point over $250,000 in just records costs for what I've been able to, you know, all the information I've been able to get. Um, You know, so, so I would start there and then look at how each court displays the information because an attorney can look at a court docket if they're familiar with that kind of case and tell you, okay, this happened, this happened, this happened, and then this didn't happen, but this happened. Mm-hmm. Whereas a computer program has to look at that and it doesn't have the same knowledge base that we have, obviously. So it, it has to be taught how to look at that, how to search for certain things, how to exclude certain things, and how to pull out the information that matters in a logically consistent way. Um, so it's, it is complicated, but it's definitely very doable. And I, I think you would agree that the way to do it is just to dive in and start tackling it. Exactly, exactly. Um, I, I think that's the, too many lawyers stop at, oh, that's software development or that's coding, I, that's development, I don't know how to do that. Um, but the, you know, the thing is you can do it. You just have to dig in and be willing, be persevere until, um, and you'll start getting little sort of pinpricks of light where you're like, ah, I see how that works now. And I see how that works now. And, um, I, you know, I, we had David Zvenyach on our podcast a while back and, um, and he had spent a little bit of time showing me how to, um, how to, how to work with the database and, and build it on a website. And, um, and I, it wound up being something I didn't do much with, but just seeing how it worked and all of a sudden you see how the internet works. Like you, mm-hmm. I couldn't do all of the internet obviously, but like all of the, the cloud-based software, but you can start seeing how you would start building it. And you get those little pinpricks of light where you're like, Oh, I get it. I get it. And the light bulbs just start going off and finally it clicks and you're just like, yes. <laughs> It's right. the best thing. Right. So no, it's it's very very rewarding to see it work yeah. when it works the right way. And again, it, you know, ninety nine percent of the time it crashes and burns, and then you have to figure out, okay, why did it crash mm-hmm. and burn? But it's you know, unlike doing things in the law, it's a really quick process that's painless because you can see the end result without you know without. <laughs> without someone's finances or their, you know, criminal record or, you know, their family crashing and burning. Right. You're, you're allowed to experiment, which is, which is different and which is nice. So if people are interested in doing something like this, um, would you say it's okay for them to get in touch with you and um, you'll try to kind of show them what you've done and point them in the right direction? Definitely, definitely. Awesome. My uh, my contact info is on Lawyerist, and they can just shoot me an email, and we'll get in touch. Fantastic. Well, Sam, thanks so much for being with us today. Um, good luck with your little boy, and uh, you. appreciate you being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. make sure you catch next week's episode of the lawyerist podcast subscribe to the lawyerist podcast in itunes or in your favorite podcast app you can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast 
You can also subscribe to The Lawyerist Insider, our weekly newsletter. Just go to lawyerist.com and look down the sidebar or click on newsletter up at the top. We'll remind you where to find the podcast whenever we release a new episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you.